On this episode of the podcast, I share the story of Steve the Cat. Jared condemns home delivery over bruised fruit, and we repay the graciousness of our guest by implying he's a connoisseur of strange pornography. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm Paul Toulon. And this is the best pandemic ever. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic, mind-blowing, life-changing episode of the Best Pandemic Ever podcast featuring Paula, I mean, Paul Tulin and myself, Jared Nichols. And today we are really excited. Try every time. Every time I do, you know, and you can't blame me for that because I'm a go-getter. I'm I'm trying to make it happen. Uh, Today we've got a special guest on. Uh, We've got Jake Green. Jake Green is the Director of Security for Freedom Consulting, and he is a uh, 14-year veteran of the United States Air Force as a drone. No, it's good. <laughs> no, wait, hold on. Wrong notes. I'm sorry. He was a Navy SEAL. No, just kidding. No, man, I don't have the abs for it. Ah, uh, that's yeah, that's right. That's right. or the, yeah. Well, you got the hair though. You can pull the hair. Up. You have the hair. Now, Jake. The- <laughs> yeah, 14 years Green Beret, uh, former Green Beret, and now um, Director of Security for Freedom Consulting. But more important. He's here on the Best Pandemic Ever podcast, which is probably one of the best decisions he has ever made in his entire life. So welcome, Jake. Glad to have you here, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Tell us. So so, so everybody kind of knows. I mean, I know quite a bit about you from Drew. And of course, we've met um, and, you know, people's reputations follow them both in and out. So, you know, I know a little bit more about Jake than I probably should. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, let's let's. Just as, as a way to begin, let's tell people your story a little bit. Okay. Um, so I joined the Army at 26. I was a, what they call an 18 X-ray, so I uh, signed a contract kind of off the street to come in. Uh, I was fortunate enough to make it. Uh, that I joined in 2004, the end of 2004. Um, made it through the qualification course. Uh, went to my first team over in 7th Group uh, that was here at Fort Bragg. Um, did a bunch of deployments, fell in love with the job. Um, I initially was like, I'll just do my, my first enlistment and get out. Um, but again, love the job, uh, stayed in, got hurt a few times, uh, ended up getting a master's degree between all my surgeries and everything. And then, uh, deployed again, got hurt again, uh, had some surgeries, fixed that deployed again. And then, uh, basically I was too dumb to stop, which, uh, caused me to lose my leg, uh, below the knee. It started off below the knee and then, uh, all the way up through the knee. So. Uh, I retired uh, in October of 2018 and kind of got lucky um, or lazy. Uh, first job that's kind of thrown at me, and I, I liked it. I liked the group of guys I was working with and uh, got into corporate security. So um, married with three little boys. Uh, they are absolutely crazy and nuts, uh, but keeps me and my wife on our toes. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old that's, are your boys? How old are, the, how old are the boys? Uh, the two... The oldest in the middle on their birthdays are next month, so they'll be eight, six, and three and a half. Oh man, that's awesome! My two boys are nine and six, so I know it. You know, yeah, they, they yeah, are the wild. wrestling, the fighting. I love it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but they're best friends too. You know, they're three years apart, oh, yeah. but they're super tight. Yeah, yeah. And Paul's so, years are a bit older because Paul's yeah, a bit yeah, older. Seven, yeah, seventeen and fourteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a, a little bit of time on you. Um, so, so you kind of, you kind of sped past that entire history of service because you talked about in the beginning you kind of got hurt once and then you know went back got hurt again did you get i didn't realize you had been injured prior to the injury that that took your leg yeah so the first time um i was in a place called anaconda 
Um, oh, my yeah. best oh, I know it well. Yeah. Love the place. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Um, great place if you want to go get in a gunfight all the time, which I did. Uh, my best friend who uh, I went through basic training with and most of the uh, qualification course, the Q course with, he was killed on his first deployment there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were supposed to high five when my team replaced his team. Um, so I went over there with like a lot of piss and vinegar, like wanting revenge, you know, uh, for my buddy. So when I got hurt, um, I refused to medevac back out. So all I did was I twisted my ankle pretty bad, tore the ligaments and tendons in there. Um, so it wasn't anything like life shattering, um, injuries. It was just a really just a bad ankle sprain, uh, that caused foot drop. So, so when were you in, when were you in Anaconda? So when we were, so there wasn't, when I was at Dara Wood, when I was at DR, yeah. um, I was there uh, before there was anything there, and there was no anaconda, there was no cobra. So for those who wouldn't know, there are we're talking about fire bases in southern Afghanistan, so outposts, Green Beret outposts in southern Afghanistan, um, specifically in the Aruzgan province, which you know was kind of the Wild West. But when I was there, there was no, the the base that Jake is referring to wasn't there, so we would have to we would have to travel there from Deira Wood. So we would do like three and four day trips to get up to Hasa Ruzgan, which is where Anaconda was. Um, and then we'd spend a couple of days there and then we'd have to come back. So, I mean, we did that trip. Imagine, you know, I mean, you guys were operating out of there. Imagine that was like your commute. It sucked. I mean, it's beautiful country though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's sure. absolutely like I, I think Afghanistan is one of the it reminds me of like Montana, Utah, uh, parts of Nevada. Uh, absolutely beautiful country. But um yeah, Anaconda was just a shithole. Um, we knew we we asked like, what's the purpose of us going here? So my buddy was third group. I was seventh group at the time. When he was killed the day we buried him, um, his team sergeant, another buddy on his team, and a combat controller were both killed in an IED strike right outside the base. Jeez. So they basically half his team was almost wiped out within a matter of like less than ten days. Hmm. So when we got there, we asked him who, like, what who we... was that? When was that? That was a. Uh, Three one two three two thousand nine February of oh nine, so okay. Mark was killed February twelfth of oh nine, and then Dave Hurt um, and Jeremy Bessa and their uh, combat controller canine guy I, were killed. Okay, Bessa. Yeah, right around, uh, I'd say like a week or two later. So yeah, okay, yeah, man. But yeah, you asked him what like what's the point of us being here? It was really just. Uh, as an IO campaign at that point, we couldn't pull out and let the Taliban, you know, have a little victory. So we're like, well, what do you want us to do? They're like, just protect the base and kill bad guys. So for a bunch of Green Berets, that, that was easy and fun to do. <laughs> yeah, they could have given up. I mean, God forbid we gave up Anaconda, which was isolated the minute a snowflake came down. <clears throat> the place was completely cut off yeah. from everything. Yeah, you couldn't get air in. And then uh, the Aussie SAS, they lost a bunch of dudes trying to resupply the place. Um, we actually got their dog back from a Taliban dude. That's a, that's a great little story. Um, tell but, it, uh, I mean, if you're able to, tell. I don't know if I can. I okay. Mean, yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, then. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So they end up losing the dog in a major gunfight. These guys, you know, they get in a gunfight going through the pass. Um, their canine handler was killed. Dog runs off. They haven't had him for like a year and a half. And, uh, we do these medical clinics at our fire bases, mainly just to help out and put on a good face. And there's other reasons behind it. And, um, this dude's like, hey, man, I got one of your dogs. You're like, dogs, what are you talking about? We're like, bring us a picture. So we start doing some research and find out that, you know, the Aussies lost a dog there and uh, kind of reached out to the Aussies, got, found out um, that the the dog handler, like, had a picture of him 
anyways, we get him back. The guy wanted a ton of money, but he got out of there with his life. I figured that was a good exchange. That uh, sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the the closest thing the closest thing we had to that is uh, is Steve the Cat. Have I ever told you about Steve the Cat, Jared? No. Tell about Steve the Cat. So so when I was at Arrowwood, we had this we um we had a we had a rodent problem. And so we had a company of Afghan National Army with us. It was the first company of Afghan National Army um, in that part of the country. And so they were with us operating. So they would go out on these patrols every day. And I said, hey, said to the company commander, I said, hey, man, if you in your travels can find a cat, that would be awesome. Because we got a rodent problem. And that's really the best way to deal with it is if we got a cat on the virus. So they come back like literally like an hour later. It's like, um, you know, on, you know, on the hooch door. And I go there and they got this box. And inside the box is this cat that cannot be more than like eight days old or something. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, it is not smaller than the rodents, right? Exactly. So they get, so they give me this thing. I'm like, Oh, thanks. So I take the cat and literally for weeks, um, I'm, I'm like hand feeding this thing. And of course, you know, we're giving it milk and <laughs> I didn't have anything, you know, I, so I'd have to put the milk in a rubber glove and I would give it to the, to the cat, but the cat would grab the rubber glove with its paws which would burst the thing that would be soaked in milk. So then I had to wrap the cat. I had to wrap the cat completely in a in a you know in a scarf. So it would be like wrapped up. I'm holding this cat, like feeding it. I did this for for weeks and weeks and weeks. Okay. So the cat does great. It thrives. We leave, and then uh, when we come back, so there's a rotation. We come back the next rotation, and I'm like, oh hey man, where's the cat? And the team that was there before us had euthanized the cat because they just Whatever, they just didn't like cats. So I was like, all right, whatever, man. Bastards. No big deal. Okay, so a couple years go by. Now I'm at the headquarters in um, in uh, Kandahar. And Jared knows, Jake, you don't, but Jared knows my wife is a, like a, like a dyed-in-the-wool, card-carrying, animal lover. You know, um, we got a rabbit. We got a cat. We got a dog. <laughs> if we had one for a horse, we'd probably have it. So <laughs> this cat shows up at CAF. At, at the Kandahar, at the at the TF three one headquarters, right? The Task Force three one when I was with First Battalion. This cat shows up, and it's milling around. And uh, and Christine, I send a picture. Always oh, in this cute. Christine sends me a note. She's like, "Don't come home without that cat." I mean, it was that was like literally five words. But I knew in that five word email, I'm like, I I have to get this cat back to the United States. Like, there's no <laughs> way I can show up without this cat. <laughs> So we embark on this. Uh, this is a very long story. I'm sorry. We embark on this on this adventure to get this cat back to the United States. So I get this terp. At the time, there was one commercial flight coming in and out of Afghanistan. I get my terp, Abe. Do you remember Abe the terp? He was an older guy, famous terp. He, he now, for people that don't know, can you explain what a terp is? Interpreter, just an yeah. interpreter. So yeah. it's just so, short yeah, for sorry. interpreter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's short for interpreter. Anyway. Abe goes on leave, quote unquote. I give him all this documentation, all this like veterinary documentation. It's all falsified. All of it's falsified, right? I got like <laughs> fake names on there. I was, like, I was like, look, take this paperwork with you, right? So he takes, so he takes the paperwork and off he goes. Hey, he what goes, do you use a cutout though? That's perfect too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'd go, he'd go down in Djibouti. If it is. So he, he takes this thing through Dubai, right? We get it into this kennel in Dubai. From Dubai, it goes to Germany. From Germany... It goes to Raleigh and Christine goes to pick this cat up at like midnight in Raleigh. This gigantic burly customs guy loaded for berries like where he's like looking at the paperwork. He's like, where is this cat coming from? And she's she made up some story. Oh, my husband, Germany, this just kind of talked in circles. 
he was confused and finally was like, all right, okay, here. So, so, so she takes a cat. Because apparently the deal is with a cat is as long as it's not diseased, doesn't look diseased, it doesn't have to be quarantined, right? Okay. So now I have this cat. It's a girl cat, but it's named Steve because we had this lieutenant. <laughs> we had this lieutenant who was a, who was a battle captain, and he was named Steve, so we named the cat Steve. So we're like, see, now there's two pussies named Steve. <laughs> okay, so Steve the cat, I take Steve the cat, right, back to the United States. And it lives with us. It lives high on the hog. It has every accommodation and luxury a cat could possibly have. It has all the food and the, the, the soft bedding and the whatever, everything you could possibly have. And, it, and it, was, it was an Afghan cat living on a trash pile in Kandahar. Now it's just, and so it stayed with us for years. And eventually it started like pissing on everything. Mm. Entitled so little shit. to retrain it. So it's like pissing on everything. And eventually... It just it it like and this is after like five or six years. Just ends up pissing on everything. I have to take it to the vet and and have it put down. And if that cat wasn't a perfect metaphor for my entire experience in Afghanistan, it was an Afghan that I cared for, get every opportunity to survive, and then it pissed on me and I had to kill it. Like that's it, man. That's my entire experience. That, like that thing is a perfect metaphor for my entire experience. So I agree with you. Like. I, that, that that sums up most Afghans in Afghanistan in general. Like one minute they're your friend, yeah, and they're asking you, and you're you're trying to build that relationship with them. You're you know, I mean, I call it like my own little hit squad that I train up. Like give them some extra boots, some extra you know anything just to make them great. And then next thing you know, it's like these motherfuckers are turned or these dudes are turning on you, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, you get it though. I mean, if you know, that's the thing that people never really understood or could never really appreciate. I was like, look, if you grew up an entire your entire lifetime where you have no idea whether today is going to be the day that it all ends, then it makes perfect sense that if you found a mortar round, you would hide it in mud in your wall because maybe that's the difference between life and death. That doesn't mean you're an IED maker. That just means that you, every mechanism of survival you're going to cling to. So you kind of have to understand where they're coming from. It's an entire generation of absolutely, you know, living yeah. a complete survival existence. Yeah, all my times in the Middle East, everyone's like, I don't get how they could blow themselves up. I was like, have you ever been over there? Mm -hmm. And they're like, no. I'm like, well, like Kuwait, right? Like Kuwait's kind of a modernized Middle Eastern place. It's a total hole. It's a shithole. You land there. It's hot. It's sandy. It's windy. It's disgusting. Like... It's a I was only there for, you know, maybe a day or two, and I wanted to kill myself. Like, I don't, I don't blame these people who live over there. They have nothing to live for. You know, like, dying is better than living. So the Western mindset is like, ooh, you know, this whole, you know, suicide bombing stuff. I'm like, look, man, this isn't anything new we fought. Yeah, the same thing in World War II. They're called kamikaze pilots, right? Um, you know, like, uh, over there, it's just I don't blame them for strapping on a vest and blowing themselves up. I well, probably do the same thing. Yeah, and a lot of it, too, is also these these uh, – uh, these reports of, of folks that are recruited in to carry out these bombings have usually been promised money to their families. So for a right. lot of them, it has nothing to do with religion. It's more of, hey, look, this is going to help make sure that my my family has got the money from these, yeah, you know, from Al Qaeda or whoever's paying them to do it, right? Yeah, well, I mean, they get extorted into it. They get threatened. Yeah, into yeah, it too. yeah. You know I mean, like there's a lot. They got a lot of leverage. Yeah, well, that's yeah, the, right. Down I mean, syndrome, kids with Down syndrome, females. I mean, it's. I mean, Hamas and Hezbollah were the ones who kind of started this with Iran and. Uh, there's a great book, Rise and Kill First, um, talking about the rise of Israel. Mm -hmm. 
after World War II and just really, I, I read that book is like, yeah, like to me, it's amazing how Israel still standing on the earth today, you know, as a country. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that was all sort of a bummer. I don't know how we no, went no, down no, that no. rabbit hole, but well, <laughs> we I think it's uh, so Steve's the cat. Now we know Steve the cat. Well, yeah, hey, Steve look, cat. look, as the token and, civilian in the room, <laughs> as the token civilian here, uh, I do think it's important that because we have more people that listen to this, you know, I think it's like fifteen now that listen to this that are oh, you know that don't me. have <laughs> that don't have experience in the military. But you know, like our last episode, Paul was really was good because you were sharing perspective that the vast majority of people never get to hear, you know, that perspective from being on the ground. And mm. uh, it's not this black and white issue that the media likes to portray all the time. So you have to look at it in different lanes and different, uh, you know, everybody's experience is valid. And so getting more of those stories and more of that understanding helps to paint a much larger picture because otherwise it's easy just to package those things up in a nice little neat narrative and say, oh, well, this is how I think about it. This is what was going on there. I mean, how many people know what was going on in Afghanistan that have never been to Afghanistan? Yeah, pretty much every armchair philosopher in the United States, they know what was going on over there. No, they don't. So I do think this is, uh, I think this is key because... Uh, I'd most of your policymakers as well. Oh. The at, Pentagon, like your PhD people who are writing this stuff, like... Oh, yeah, dude. That's, yeah. <laughs> we could have a so whole here's, bunch of... So here's another, here's another uh, uh, peek behind the curtain. I, I worked at the, uh, the NCTC for a while, the National Counterterrorism Center. I was in the, in the, what they call the DSOP, the Directorate of Strategic and Operational Planning. And I was in the group. They they dumped me onto the onto the group of guys who were writing the um, uh, counter ISIS campaign stuff. Um, and you're right. There was a, there was a handful. There was like a lawyer, a PhD, all these other kind of guys. But the guys who were really like doing the yeoman's work, like getting like doing the writing and the rewriting and the drafting, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not making this up. It was an Air Force captain and an Army major. Like, that's who was, like, crunching away on that stuff. You know what I mean? And, like, actually, like, getting it done and circulated and, and you know, it would go to every department and agency. I mean, so, you know, there's always, there's always, you know, some worker B behind, you know, behind whatever the face of policy or, you know, or, um, or, or law or regulation, whatever it is. It's just, you know, some, some little Air Force captain just nugging away. <laughs> well, it's like the, uh... though. The new unconventional warfare manual that came out with Petraeus, right? Like Petraeus's names, General Petraeus's names on it. You know, uh, there wasn't one SF guy. It was the old SF manual, yeah. you know, that we did, you know. But, but he, like, stabbed and put his name of, uh, approval on it, but there wasn't, like, one SF guy. And that's, like, the Special Forces, that's a Green Beret's mission is unconventional warfare, right? Uh, I don't know. We, we could sit there point out all the fallacies in the military and uh probably yeah, that, yeah, that it's could be a, a podcast <laughs> yeah that could be a podcast all 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 its own um oh man but, anyway, but 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 the idea of being on the ground and ground truth that's kind of where you know that's kind of what the some of the impetus behind um the best pandemic ever podcast was because i was like man you know jared and i were like commiserating about how everything was misrepresented and you know we would hear these stories of dystopian apocalypse and all these places and then I would go to that place and be like, that wasn't like that at all, man. Like, what's the, so what's the, what's the, what's the vibe out in, uh, out in Southern Pines? Uh, oh, so, you know, Southern Pines, Pioneer Series, but for the most part, it's military, doctors, and retirees. So, um, I, I don't wear a mask most of the time. I'm kind of one of those people like, hey, let's, it's a virus. Uh, and I have a very simple mind and uh, I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to science. Um, but it's like, hey, it's a virus. Eventually, we're all going to get it at some point. So 
Um, I was out in California a few weeks ago. My kids, we all got the flu shot before I left, and they had a little fever. It wasn't 100, but it was like 99 at school. Had to pull them out, get them tested. And um, The crazy thing I've, that, that drove me nuts is like everyone was worried about it, uh, rightfully so in my opinion. Um, so we take him to the, call the doctor. The doctor's like, oh, bring him in right away. So he, my wife shows up, pulls at the doctor's office, and it's like through the car. But they can't give him a COVID test at the doctor's office. So they're like, hey, go to First Health. So we go over to her first health. They're like, oh, we only do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday um, from 8 to 12. It's like, this pandemic's that bad. Uh, you would think, you know, I mean, I'm a tiny little town, so I don't think 24-7 is necessary. But you'd think, like, daily testing w- would happen. Um, yeah. And we got called, like, 72 hours later. Oh, hey, by the way, it's a negative, like, okay, well, thank yeah. you. Um, you know, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, man, I kind of wish they would have got it just so we can – build the antibodies up and, and be done with it um, oh dude 100 my wife just had a test last week because her one of her co-workers tested positive and uh christine we had to go and it was like a drive-through you do it yourself look we're pretty capable people uh but i gotta be honest with you i would not qualify the interior of our minivan as surgical level sterility. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. you know, it's probably not the best way. Anyway, she jammed that thing up into, her, <laughs> up into her head and she's twisting the thing around and I'm like, you're not twisting it. And she's cursing me out. She's like, you know, she's, <laughs> she's just, long story short, same thing. We were like, man, it'd be great. Let's just get it, get it over with. Cause I, I'm like, I, I'm with you. I am. I don't want to get it because I don't want to get ever get sick, but I'm I'm also not afraid of getting it. Those are two very different things. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and she was she was negative. And we we're kind of like, oh man, that's kind of a bummer because we just kind of want to get it over with. Because I agree with you, eventually, eventually, um, it's gonna you, you know it's it's almost inescapable. And again, that, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, but, well, it's a little got a little different perspective, I think. I mean, I'm not really. I I am definitely the same mind that I think we're all going to get it. My uh, uh, my sister-in-law lives in in the Baltimore area, and one of her neighbors is a doctor at John Hopkins. And when this thing first started off, and they were on top of it, like it was back in March, April, she told her, she goes, look, here's the reality. Everybody's going to get this at some point in time. That was back in March and April. Uh, so I, you know what I think in the, in, the, in the bigger picture of things is that we just, we really don't know because it, there's no consistency. Jake, you and I talked about this before. Paul and I talked about this a lot as well. Is that the frustrating thing is that there's no there's no consistency in how it affects people. My mother-in-law got it and barely bothered her at all. She was a little fatigued. And so you she's um, she's definitely in that age group and she's relatively healthy, you know. She doesn't have any kind of major, you know, health problems, health issues. Uh, but she was fine. And then there's some people that are a lot younger than her, you know, that were at least on the outside more healthy than her who got it and were in ICU for two weeks and then ended up dying. And it's just like, what the hell? So it is, you know, this is almost that analogy with any virus. uh, That's true. That's true. You know, the flu flu affects all of us a little differently. Same with a common cold. And it's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm there. I think the transparency, right. Yeah. Uh, And that's the most frustrating part is, uh, and I think it's good to a degree for for people, for two doctors, right? You could have, I, I kind of throw this analogy out there, you could have like two identical twins, grow up in the same exact household, go to the same school for undergrad, go to the same med school, um, get their, you know, their MD in the same 
type of practice, but they could have two totally different opinions on mm. how they practice medicine and how they see things. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's theory and it's an opinion. Um, and it's a young virus, right? It came out yeah. about this time last year in China. If they actually told us the truth and right. you know, sometime in December ish, it was coming out. Um, so, you know, I expect the science to change a yeah. little bit, you know, yeah. um, well, I don't I, expect everything to be black and white either. And I think people want to point to the government for solutions. Like that to me is the problem. Like if you're looking for the government for solutions, uh, well, yeah, they I, haven't I, really been too, uh, too spot on on anything for well, several never decades. Are. Yeah. You know, they, there's, it's a slow moving, uh, it's a slow-moving train. One that, by the well, way, you can milk if uh... – Yeah, the milk train. I say yeah. – <laughs> I, I tell sorry. people all the time, if you think that the government is the solution to your problems, you've never worked a day in government. Yeah. But I've worked many, many, many days. It's not an efficient place. It's not you know super effective. not designed to be that way. But yeah, I just – I just um, uh, again, not, we, we never wanted to be – flippant about it and we yeah. never wanted to diminish anybody's suffering or the fact that or or deny the fact that people have died from it or it's been really rough for people um but at the same time like for me the calculus that i made and you know jake and i are kind of in the same league when it comes to risk calculation i think you know we've been exposed to some fairly um dangerous situations so something like this doesn't really rise to the level of making us worried um but even still, you know, I just I can't get past the idea that there's a lot of things out there that could wipe me out tomorrow. And I don't not want to live my life as a result. And that's why I come down with I come down on, you know, that distinction between not wanting to get it is not the same thing of being afraid to get it. We've talked a lot about, you know, how this disingenuous pandering approach to informing people has made so many people fearful that really probably never needed to be. Or apathetic because, right, I mean, we. this is the problem is that in any crisis, you have a very small window to establish trust that will dictate the, um, uh, the leadership and the followership, if you will, coming after that. And for us in the U.S., that was just a complete – nightmare from the beginning at the national state and local you know even the doctors you know, fauci coming out and saying hey look this stuff isn't going to help you face masks and whatnot ppe and he later admitted this too uh that yeah we said that because we didn't want people hoarding all of this it's like well how about you know let's 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 go all in and let's let's bet on the generosity of the american public right you know let's try that instead of being like no they're too childish and selfish so like the, all of these norms get established. No, I'd say not norms, but these these um, uh, working relationships, if you will, between the government, leadership, and the citizens right in the beginning. And that was absolutely fucked from the start. And that's why we're in this place now. That's why science is politicized. That's why, you know, and this isn't one side or the other. This is all sides, right? There's the over, oh, you know, beware, this is the zombie apocalypse. And then there's a, this thing isn't real or it's really not that bad. And you don't know what to believe because the science, of course, is going to change. Um, but there's a complete lack of trust at all levels between the citizens and the government. And that is a dangerous situation. I say dangerous just because, look, you know, it almost becomes just the Wild West, right? Well, you saw it, you know. So you had COVID, right? That hit in, I'd say, like, here in the U.S. is like February. 
Um, yeah, officially, but but they did start to see that it was here in December too. Correct. Yeah, but like officially, it was like the news started picking up the news media, and again, it was again politicized from the very get go of um, the president's racist. He shut down the borders, um, you know, and it was like <laughs> right, right. I, I think yeah. Jared, to your point is like honesty, man. I, Hon- I think yeah. I don't know at times is a decent answer. Yeah, of, that's right. Uh, and I think I respected leaders in the military who sometimes like, hey, Jake, man, I just don't know. Exactly. Uh, I, I'm working on it. I, I don't know. And when I find that answer, I'll let you know. Um, and I think our politicians have almost and, and people in leader, certain leadership positions have almost felt like they have to give an answer, even if they know it's completely false. Yep. And they just hope and pray that they can wiggle their way out of it or they just don't get called to the carpet on it. Exactly, man. You You're right. right. You'd have loved working for me, man. I never knew what was going on. <laughs> that's all I ever told you. That's why it's great. It's <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. So, so, so you, so your whole job now is assessing, uh, in in a manner of speaking, is assessing security and safety, right? I yeah, mean, that's right. essentially yeah, what, yeah. And what, so, and so, and so for me, you know, my thing has always been that the situation as being currently described is always just disproportionately magnified and you know for the purposes of getting people's attention generating viewership ad dollars all these other kind of things like all these corporate motivations um and when i go out into the world i don't ever see any of it i just came back from this place called mayfair shopping center the place is bustling nobody's screaming at each other didn't notice a protest or any windows being smashed like it's all just you know, it's all magnified. super spreader super... central. No. Yep, but you're in that business, so I mean, what do you do? You I see agree. things differently. I, I agree. I think uh, in your major metropolitan areas, and again, I just got back from Huntington Beach um, two weeks ago, so flew into LAX, flew out of there. Um, I don't wear a mask. I, I wear it on the airlines, and if a store like, hey, put a mask on, and I want to shop there, then I'll do it. I, they all have the signs up there, and like, hey, if they're not going to enforcement, I'm not going to wear it. That's my choice. Now, if I was sick or something, I would I wouldn't even go. Um, I think that's just called being a decent human being. Um, I agree, Paul. No one is really. I would say in the beginning, like when everything kind of got a little hot and heavy in May, people were like, "Hey, you're not wearing a mask." I just thank you. Keep walking, right? Um, but you don't see the 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 at your throat, um, especially as like political season, the election season was coming up here. Um, I would say in my neighborhood, I'd say 60% Trump supporters, 40% Biden supporters, right? Then as Halloween, I had a little Halloween thing. I have a fireplace outside and uh, kind of like a covered like kitchen. And so we were social distancing and, and, and following the guidelines that way to a degree. Uh, but people had conversations, yeah. uh, political conversations. No one was yelling at each other. No one was in each other's face, at each other's throats. I think the same thing with COVID is, and I guess... I think the news media, I don't care what side you look at and what side you're on. If you're, if you're watching Fox news and Newsmax and everything else, like, you know, screw a mask. You know, I'm not that guy. I'm not the screw a mask kind of guy. I'm just like, I can't even breathe out of my nose. I feel like I'm suffocating. <laughs> I hate the thing. I don't want to wear the damn yeah. thing. Um, and I don't care if someone wears a mask. I care less if someone showed up in like mop level three gear going to the store. I'd laugh. It'd be a good chuckle, but we've actually talked about doing that. Yeah. Like, that's their own prerogative. That's their own choice, you know? And if it's my choice not to wear a mask, we live in a free country. Like, and the, But there's also that level of, too, of at what point am I being selfish for not wearing one and protecting myself if the hospital beds here in Moore County 
uh, all the ICU and everything's, you know, there isn't a place. Well, I can't be that guy complaining, say, hey, give me, give me, you know, treat me first because I was, I didn't follow the rules either, you know, so. Yeah, well, that's that, that's that we were talking before we started, before we started the show. Um, that's that kind of that, you know, very black and white distinction between where people have to have to be labeled, where they have to be entrenched, right? It's either, oh, you don't wear a mask, so automatically you're a heartless bastard, or you do wear a mask, so automatically you're a mindless drone, right? And, and it's never any of that. It's, it, you know, it's always, you know, our friend and, and, and Jared, you know him a little bit, um, but our friend Drew, if you want to talk to a guy who has just the most well thought out and articulate explanation of how he's addressing the risk and how, you know, you know, his perspective on wearing a mask and going out in public and social distancing and all those kind of things. Boy, I mean, he just articulates it so well because he talks about how, you know, he's assessed the risk, what it means for him and his family, and that he's, and you know, about then they decided that it was more important to go out and, and, and live their lives and, and not be overwhelmed by it. But he just does such a good job at it. But I mean, again, it's like one of those things that we, we were talking about earlier, you know, it's being magnified right now with, uh, with, the, pen, with the holidays coming, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, you know, people are, and I, I got to be honest with you, I think most people are just going to do whatever the hell they're going to do. I no, mean, yeah. they're over it. Yeah, they're going to, yeah, I, I, I really think they are. I, I think, you know, like people in New York and other places, again, I, I think we live in a unique area. Um, Jared, I mean, even you and Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Like I was going to say that too. Metropolitan place. But, you know, depending on where you live and, and how it affects you, I think that is your perspective. And then, I think if everyone just shut off social media and the news, mm-hmm. would we even hear about this? Would it be really a pandemic? Or would we look at the numbers like, man, like, Jared died of the, uh, I'm not going to use your name, but no, so-and-so. So, There's my, other Jared's. My neighbor Betsy over here, she, she looks like she died of the flu. You know, would we really, I don't know, you know, you, you just never know. I just think sometimes the media, so they can get their ratings up and just follow the money. Yeah. That's what I always tell people. And like Paul, you are saying is, you know, what is your asset? What are you trying to protect? If it's you and your family, then you got to internally look at what threats, risk, and vulnerabilities am I going to expose myself to? And am I comfortable with that? Um, and if not, well, then what am I going to do? Am I going to wear a mask? Is a mask good enough? Should I wear gloves? Should I wear the facial? Should I not even go out? And with technology today, you don't have to leave your house if you don't want to. You can have groceries delivered. You can, like, everything can be delivered. Your life essentials can uh be delivered at your house. So I'm of the mindset, like, I don't know when I'm going to die. We're all going to die at some point, And I'd rather live my life and enjoy it than be afraid of what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. What might happen. Oh, yeah. you're a magnet for calamity. You're definitely going to die before me and him. Oh, before oh, me I, and Jared. That's happening. Yeah. Like I, no was the bullet, I was the bullet magnet. Luckily I never got <laughs> yeah, a shot, you shot uh, like Drew. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, man, yeah, anything that could go wrong has gone wrong. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, it's just below the knee amputation, six to nine months, you'll get back and running. Uh, six to nine months, great. And like, but you know, there's a small possibility this could happen like every single time it happened. So, um, I'm my house, my fridge had a leak. Uh, $25,000 later, they've redone the kitchen, but everything that's wrong, <laughs> everything gone wrong, it has uh, gone wrong. So, oh, man. Hey, um, so, so I got so two things from what from what you just said. Two questions you just made me think of. First of all, have you tried? Has any? Has either one of you guys tried the uh, ordering groceries online yet? No. So yes, I did when I was in San Antonio. 
um, yeah, go through. through that noise, man. I mean, it I is all. Yeah. Oh God, it's such a scam. Are you talking about where they the delivered to your house, or you order it online and then go pick it up? No, they deliver it to your house, and I was yeah, like, we've done it online. Man, go pick actually... it up through the drive-through, and yeah, it's they always pick the shittiest produce. Like it's you're like, what? What is this? Are you finding your expired shit? This, come on, guys. Yeah, so, go ahead, man. Here's the here's the weird thing, right? This is just, and this is, I, and this is a thing I think about a lot, and this is a thing that Jared and I talk about a lot because you know consumerism and 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 all the things we have, and you know the pandemic helping us to realize that we don't need most of it. And I was, for some reason, the model, the acceptable and favored model at like Walmart, is if they don't have what you ordered, they give you like the next size up. No way. No substitutions. <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I tried that, and then it was like it was like nothing, right? So everything, yeah. oh, we're out of this, we're out of this. We're out of this. So I was like, man. so they give me like, like you know, like the fifty pound bag of potato chips. It's like a sack of coal. You know what I mean? It's like it's like like the poultry. Like I I don't know what the like I don't know where they're growing these chickens, but they're it's just enormous enormous chicken breasts. You know what I mean? They're like the Dolly Partons of chickens. It, it's it, like. It was I'm telling you, man. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> and it was like, and it, and then, and then it was like, I, it had to be like 50. So if you watch the commercial, it's all being delivered in reusable bags. And, you know, it's this family. Also my pick it, and they deliver, there's like 90 bags, like on my front porch, just oh, like yeah. with two items in them each. And the that lady who delivered couldn't have been nicer, but what a fiasco, man. That yeah. That is just, I can't imagine that it's worth it for people. I, I can't imagine that that's, but I guess it's taken, you know, it's, it's, it's taken off, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you look at like Uber. Um, Uber Eats and like I was just read a great article on on Uber um, of how last year when they went public, everyone said like don't invest in them, they're gonna fail, they're gonna fail. Well, basically they lowered their prices, so did Lyft and everyone else. And uh, what's the other food delivery um, service? Grubhub or something. Grubhub, yeah. yeah. And Uber's outperforming them right now, so now everyone's like buy Uber, buy Uber, buy Uber stock. So uh, I don't know that whole delivery system. Uh, when it comes to the food, I'm just like a single dude down in Texas. That's all I know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I mean, we we every Friday night is pizza night for us, and for better or worse, however we and look, I'm from the Northeast. I know a thing or two about good pizza, but as it turns out, both my sons were born in North Carolina, so we're a little Caesar family, and that pizza is shit whether you have it oh. delivered or you pick it up. Yeah. And so now I get that stuff delivered every Friday. I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of this is kind of squared away. I mean, what could you possibly do to that? You know what I mean? <laughs> but other than that, you know, but anyway, but the other question that I that you maybe that you maybe think of is talking about, you know, what are your assets? What are you protecting? So has there been an uptick in demand from, you know, from a security assessment perspective to look at like COVID as a risk? Is that factor into what you're doing right now? Or is that not even a it's not even so, a thing that you guys can think about? Uh, so, yes, uh, Long, long answer is yes. Short answer is it's all very specific. Um, yeah. And so we do a lot of high net worth individuals, um, plastics, plastics, chemical plants, um, really just problem solvers. And so when COVID hit, I started taking like HR courses on COVID um, because how am I going to help? Coming up with a COVID plan is great. And so I would sit down with their legal team, their HR team, their executive teams, um, risk management, you know all the head honchos and you know when you and paul you, you know this like in the military too like when you're doing an operation it's not just like 
world of crap, you know, crap shooting, like, let's just go unless you're a seal. Um, but, uh, <laughs> those are Paul's favorite guys, <laughs> but, uh, you know, like coming up with this plan, it, it took weeks, you know, of how do we get people back, you know, and you know, what thermometers are really working at, you know, do you do it through the forehead? Do you do the wrist? Do you do what, wh- what is the right, how often, um, a single entry, a single exit. And then is that, is that up to code? Is that up to the fire code? You know, um, all these little things. So yes, especially in the manufacturing industry, you know, if you are in a plant and you have COVID rent running through it, uh, you can, on these larger chemical and plastic producing plants, you're losing millions of dollars a day. If you have to shut it down, my brother-in-law is a plastics, um, does injection molding out in Colorado. And he's had 25 people come down with COVID out of the few hundred that worked there. And it's messed, you know, production up a little bit. He actually just got over it last week. Um, but so yes, there's, COVID is played into it because it is a risk, you know, depending on what you do. If you look at, I mean, look at schools, look at grocery stores, look anywhere, anywhere where you interact with people and people have to come and go and get essential items. Um, there's definitely a risk. I'd say the biggest thing was the riots, the protests and riots. Um, that's where we started getting a ton of calls uh, in our area when uh, Floyd was killed. He was raised somewhat here in Rayford, North Carolina, right outside Fayetteville. Oh, wow. And so all the news stations, they wanted bodyguards. Uh, we don't do any executive protection. We have a lot of people that do that. I don't do security cameras or alarm systems either. But getting you know, these security guard companies are getting tapped out right now, uh, especially as more and more cops in these larger cities are you know, walking off the job in these unfriendly cities with cops. And then security companies are asking us. I'm like, man, I'm not touching that. I, I would don't want to get in the security guard industry. I should yeah. make a lot of money right now. But the liability to me is just not worth it. Yeah. So you, know, what I'd be interested in too, Jake, uh, when I think about COVID as a risk, um, at least in my line of work, looking at you know how the future may unfold, wanting to look at second and third order implications of something that's here right now, and I would guess, and you guys, you confirm or tell them, tell me if I'm way off the mark here, in security and you know because you're also looking at cyber threats, uh, how much of of that kind of work is played into your assessment? with an organization? Like, for instance, what kind of, uh, how has COVID impacted the way that they communicate with their their people? Obviously, having to do more virtual work. So what kind of threats and, and uh, weaknesses yeah. come up in that in that line right there? And then saying, well, if we lose X number of people in our workforce, what, um, what new problems or issues arise that we have that could create both positive and negative outcomes? And then how do we start to anticipate those types of things? I mean, to me, like that's, what I would imagine uh, would be really beneficial. Um, but yeah, so, is that what you guys do? So yeah, a little bit. So when you look at COVID and people working from home, right? When everything, like you can't find a decent um, computer camera out there because schools and everyone else and uh, we're, we're buying everything up. Right. So when you talk about working from home, now you're opening up a whole different threat, uh, especially for these larger Fortune 500 companies. And these poor IT guys, we're already in a cybersecurity shortage in this country as it is. So these poor IT guys are already getting worked to death with the old office building setup. But now you have people working from home and most companies, you know, they provide you a laptop, but your home internet service provider, who's setting up the firewall there? What about your router? How many firewalls do you have there? Um, Is your system up to date? I mean, there's so many cyber threats that have opened up now. that's just a nightmare for these companies. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a, uh, I talked about it a little bit yesterday. Um, there's two routers that are made in China. One's sold at Walmart and the other one's on Amazon and um, eBay. But the routers that are being built, the Chinese are putting in these back doors. What, um, which routers are those? I'd have to I'd have to look that up. Uh, give me a minute. It's not Netgear, is it? it? <laughs> no. It, okay. It's like these two like off-brand routers I've never heard of. Oh, companies. okay. Um, but these back doors that are getting in and they can infiltrate now whatever network you're on. Mm-hmm. And so the cybersecurity industry has always been booming um, because not a lot of people are, know about it. And I'm not a cybersecurity guy at all. Um, so that that's a threat. What I would see with some of these Fortune 500 companies, especially the one company I do a lot of consulting work for, is they spent $30 million last year in travel in 2019. This year they may get up to $5 million. Mm-hmm. Of what they spent in travel for 2020, and that's because of COVID and the lockdowns. So they're saving roughly 25 million dollars in travel. What's, you know, fortunate that 25 million dollars is, is quite yeah. a bit of money if you're a 14 billion dollar company. Um, and so now what they're doing is they're taking that money, and they're reinvesting it in the company to making sure their cybersecurity home protocols are up to date, uh, yeah. a little bit better. And it's gonna, I, I think, whenever you have a pandemic or anything in life where it makes you have to reevaluate and change you're going to see a lot of good come out of it on top of the negative. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we see more good. I think, you know, the, the home networking, working from home, uh, is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but you have to make sure, you know, as far as person, your personal computer and your work computer that you're setting up your home network properly. So carrying that properly. So let me ask you this here. What do you see from your vantage point? What do you see as both, like what are these these good outcomes? These good potential outcomes that could stick around. But then at the same time, what are what are we as citizens not paying attention to in the midst of our current situation right now that could be a real negative outcome um, from a security perspective? You know, what what do you what kind of what what high level view are you taking on that that you can share with us that says, hey, look, these are the things. Because I like to do that a lot. Say, look, we're not paying attention to this. Everybody's focused on this, but these are the real potential implications of what's going on now. But this is your your area of expertise. Uh, when you look out at the environment and the landscape, what do you see as the, the, the big positives and the big negatives that nobody's talking about? I think the big positive, again, is, is working from home and given – Again, the, the one company, they're going to come back. They, they want, you know, a majority of the workforce, all except for maybe 20%. Like, they've realized that, hey, they're closing multi-billion dollar deals mm-hmm. you know, all over the globe through the internet. Um, however, the, what you do lack is that collaboration. Mm-hmm. And so things sometimes take a little bit longer um, because not everyone's in a room at the whiteboard. Lawyers aren't all sitting down together um, hashing everything out. So that's both a negative and a positive. I think companies are going to realize like commercial spaces those are probably going to could be a thing of the past yeah um these large large office buildings because again people are realizing we have we've had this technology for probably a decade i mean paul how long have we been doing vtcs in the military in afghanistan on crappy internet you know probably since early 2000s right yeah the svtc the secret video teleconference what a piece of shit that was for you. Oh man, we've been we've been living we've been living that dream for a, yeah like a decade. So that was set up by AT and T, wasn't it? Uh, so we have this technology, and I think the positive is we're going to start using this technology more and more. Um, and so I think some of your industries are going to take a huge negative fall. You know, we're looking at the 
airline industry. One industry that we don't, that we've talked about, you know, as mentioned a little bit in the news is your small businesses, your mom and pop mm-hmm. restaurants. Uh, I think uh, one number I saw was like 80 or 90% of them are never going to come back. Yeah. You know, after yeah. this pandemic. And why is that? Um, there's a gentleman named Michael Bonnies lives up in New York City, a, a big restaurant consultant, travels all over the globe. He wrote a great article on it. And it's, you look at the lobbying firms. You know, yep. the Restaurant Industry Association is one of the largest associations here in the U.S. Now, political lobbying associations, well, those are your your major restaurants. I'm not going to name the name of the restaurants because I don't know which restaurants actually pay that are part of the association. But I think your major chains out there uh, pay into this association. Well, those chains, they're hurting, but they're not doing nearly as bad as these mom and pops. And why? Because these mom and pops, no one's fighting for them. Yeah. You know? And um, what I see is more people are online digging online and look google doesn't have all the answers and not all the, not everything that's on the internet is true so what i'm seeing is a lot a lot of conspiracy theorists and people jumping onto one side or the other getting their panties in a wad mm-hmm. of that and that's what i think is scary is we kind of talked about the, the disinformation that's out there yeah. um and people that are searching you know what they think is or could be the truth hell i don't even know what the truth is with covid to be honest <laughs> with you um but people searching, you know, wanting these answers and like pigeon going down these rabbit holes and sometimes it leads off into a far right. So, yeah. Also, I think what's scary is, you know, we still have a big terrorist threat to this country that people, you know, it, it, we had the COVID, we've had the the riots and the protests, you've had the election. And to me, this is like the prime. I mean, we don't even know who's president yet. Right. Uh, it still hasn't been, you know. Uh, they're still going through the legal process. And if I was a foreign country like Iran or somewhere else that absolutely hates this country, we're at the perfect, the, the recipe for disasters there. Yeah. All, all you need is a few major events for something to kick off really drastic in this country. I mean, look at the rise of Antifa over this last year um, yeah. and what they're causing and creating. It's, uh, yeah. I don't know if I answered the question. No, no, you did. Um, you did. Uh, I, I think COVID is, it's not going away. Just people have to learn how to adapt, and we don't know the answer yet. So when you don't know the answer, you got to be flexible. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I can't think one of the yourself. yeah, I think one of the takeaways from that is is definitely this idea of the backbone of local enterprises that is that is potentially could be shattered, right? I mean, because I don't think people, and I have seen a lot of initiatives that seem to be saying now, hey, go out and support your local businesses, because I think people are starting to realize that. I don't think that, I don't think it is well appreciated how substantial the small business economy contributes to the overall economy, right? Um, And I don't know where we would be if that gets decimated and then just subsumed by the giants. Um, I don't know, I I have no idea what that might, what that may mean. I'm certainly not an economist. Jesus Christ, I could barely balance a checkbook if you ask my wife. Um, but, uh, but you know, I think the, the, that's one of those things like Jared was talking about where you're like, hey, you, hey, I, you're looking over here, but you're not paying attention to this really important thing. I think that's one of the things that is definitely getting overlooked right now is how, how shaky that ground is that they're on. Because think yeah. about it, if you're talking about 80 or 90 percent of those businesses going under, that's 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 yeah. that's catastrophic. That's a huge, huge number. Now, again, we I don't know. We don't know. I look around. I don't know too many places that are going under. But I, I, I also don't know many too many small business people either. Well, um, I, maybe I could help shed a little bit of light on this. So 
uh, I used to be on the board of directors for the National Small Business Association in D.C. And their their whole job is to lobby on behalf of small, medium-sized companies. It's a nonpartisan organization. Uh, so getting to uh, getting to the heart of this, one of the biggest, frust- most frustrating things for small business owners is that uh, politicians love to come and they would come and talk to us, you know, uh, senators, congresspeople, and they always start off, you know, small business is the lifeblood of America. And we'd all look back and go, bullshit. I mean, it is, but why do you keep poisoning that bloodstream? You know, because it, the way that the system works, I mean, I learned so much being in Washington. I know, Jake, you've spent a lot of time there. and uh, But you're right. The lobbying firms, this is what this drives and shapes policy is who can uh, influence the lawmakers the most. And sadly, small, medium-sized businesses, that's not an industry. That's just a collective based on the number of employees that you have in an organization. So there's not this shared industry perspective, for example, like the restaurant industry or the airline industry, you know, or the oil and gas industry. They have very clear initiatives and outcomes that they want to see. Small, medium-sized businesses just saying like, hey, look, you know, uh, we want um, equal treatment or we want treatment that is, you know, if you pass this large sweeping uh, new regulation that applies to uh, publicly traded companies and corporations, you know, recognize that small, medium-sized companies for the most part are not publicly traded organizations. So a lot of these things just create a whole lot more paperwork, uh, time and energy going away, which means you can't hire as many people. There's just a lot of stupid decisions that do not take small, medium-sized companies into account. Yet the way politicians love to talk about it is that, hey, you're the lifeblood of America. Well, that is true. All the new jobs, the vast majority of new jobs come through small, medium-sized organizations. So if you do see a massive uh, closure of small, medium-sized companies that do not come back, I think the the impact on the overall economy and the country will be uh, unprecedented. Because, I, I mean, if for anybody, especially anybody who doesn't want the government more involved in their life, this is a perfect way to get them more involved in your life. Because when you have mom and pop shops that can't pay their bills, they have to close up, you know, what are they going to do, right? I think the, probably the problem is there's a huge upside, right? So if you look at it like a case study like the, like the videotape rental store, right? So, I mean, those places got completely wiped off the face of the earth, Right. Yeah, I mean, but there's a huge upside. Guys like Jake no longer have to go, you know, sheepishly and quietly and with shame into the separate room with the curtain <laughs> where the adult videos are. He does have privacy of his own home. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Innovation. And, and really get the really weird stuff, you know. Hey, <laughs> Paul, what has Drew told you about me, man? <laughs> no, you're you, you like this. You're a Green Beret. You're not fooling anybody. Listen, so... so Right. So, but like there was this, but the problem was there was this huge upside. We got Netflix, we got Hulu, streaming, all that kind of stuff came as a result. And so, whatever happened to those people that those people were small business people? I mean, they, I don't know. Like, what's the case study there? What happened to them? Did they, is that, is that the natural, is that the natural progress of, of, of economics or, or markets? Is that how that works? I, I, like, I think, Paul, you're onto something. And that's kind of what I, like, um, in my master's course, there's a, Dr. Chris Basford, he Klausowitz expert, but he taught an elective course that I took called Strategy Brand X, and uh, we read read about fractals and ants and all these reemerging shapes, uh, Darwinism, and 
I remember going to his office one day, like, Dr. Bastard, look, as a Green Beret, as we're studying about strategy, what the hell does fractals and ants have to do with strategy? And this dude, like, wicked, wicked smart guy, man. Like, you know when people are so smart, they're, they're too smart to tie their own shoes, they use Velcro? Yeah, yeah. Shoes, cause that, yeah that's him. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, big old deep voice. He just sits back in his chair and just starts laughing like, ha ha ha, Jake, that's, that, that's your final question. I'm like under my breath, like, you know, like this son of a bitch, right? Like, okay, whatever. So I already go in there frustrated and pissed off. I leave there even more frustrated and pissed off. And, you know, a few months go by and it's the final, you know, question and it's a, an oral question and you go around the class and you argue your point. And, uh, what I learned about the strategy brand X course is he asked like, what is the X? And to me, the way I related the X was, um, as we studied the evolution and, and change uh, through nature and different tribes and, and people is we always have to, we're always changing, you know? Um, I, I think for Paul, like I, the best way I could explain it to the guys on the team was, look, if we hit the same compound every night at 1 a.m., right? And the same group of people are there and we come in, well, at 1 a.m. they know that, hey, the guys with long hair and beards are going to show up. They're going to blow open my door. They're going to shoot a few of us, blah, blah, blah. But they're going to change position. They're going to change their tactics. And based on what they change, we're going to change as well. And I think business leaders um, with COVID are having to realize, like, how do I change I, at my company, right? I can't go out and do physical security assessments right now with a lot of these manufacturing companies because they don't want an outside person coming in and contaminating their plant. And so what, how do I adjust and how do I change that? Uh, it's, it's big. So I'm doing retainers. I'm also looking at, uh, I do what's called due diligence and these Intel background reports and I'm, uh, doing, you know, stuff for board members and looking into people. I'm also doing some of these assessments virtually where instead of spending five days on the ground there and three of those, I'm interviewing people, I'm doing it over the computer, you know? So I think as business leaders with COVID is if you can't learn how to adapt, you're, you're going to be done. And I think us as humans too, we're at COVID. If we can't learn how to adapt and live with COVID, you're either going to survive and live or you're going to die. You know, just like smallpox. It was, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that it's, it's evolution of life um, and economics as Paul was saying. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that was a heartless thing to say. So no, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I'm just kidding. Oh, no, no, I, I'm with you on that. Right. I mean, uh, I talk about that all the time. You've got to, to anticipate uh, where things may be going and what may be coming. Um, but you also have to think further out so that you can uh, influence the outcome of, of what's coming down the road. But there are these, these, these events like COVID that do hit you with, no, there's no gradual like, hey, this thing's coming. Well, and, and let me step back. Pandemics are the thing that are fairly, those things are fairly predictable. And this had been predicted for some time. Thankfully, it wasn't nearly as bad as what they had feared. You know, I mean, for the past 10 years, they've been saying, look, you know, we're due for another pandemic. So those are pretty consistent. Um, but with COVID and this happening, and then the immediate reaction uh, from the government, from your state and local levels, um, this was really a, a total wild card in that sense, right? Uh, your ability to adapt has also been hindered based on restrictions and regulations from your state or local leaders or national. So it's a little bit different than just your typical disruption. It's more of there are, there are things that are – and this is, again, it's not to make excuses. Some, you should always be looking for ways to evolve and adapt your business to do things smarter. Find ways to disrupt yourself because somebody or something will ultimately do it. 
But in this situation, I think it's different because uh, your ability to adapt may have been hampered because you could not open your doors. When I think about North Carolina, for example, it, all of us living in North Carolina, we can, so we can, we can talk about this. Um, my business, for the most part, can be virtual all the time, before the pandemic, after the pandemic. I mean, so I'm, this really didn't affect me, in, not even close to the way that it's affected a number of other people. In fact, it actually increased business for me. But when I think about gyms and bars and these places uh, that are forced to shut down because it's a health crisis, and um, there needs to be, in my opinion, like if you are being told by the state government that you have to shut down, then the state government better pony up for covering your expenses. In my mind, I think that's that's what should happen I because agree. of no I fault of your own. You know, like, and, uh, yeah, because like there's nothing you can do. Like, I mean, you but can. But at the same time, like when you say like the state needs to pony up, well, at the end of the day, that's the taxpayer ponying up. You know, when you hear government dollars, it's not the government's money. It's our money. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think sometimes these decisions are based off based off of political numbers uh, instead of let's take a. I just feel like everyone's hitting the, hit the panic button. Oh, uh, definitely. And, I think and there's... Shit, it's haywire. Right. Um, and so, again, this isn't I'm just talking personally, not not professionally. I just. Everything in due amount, in, in a yeah. certain amount. Um, yeah. But what's it going to look like? You know, if manufacturing keeps declining, you know, and truckers start losing their jobs, stores aren't getting the products that they need, then what happens? You look at toilet paper, right? Mm-hmm. Like people freak. Why the hell are people, you know, my wife, I, I said, I don't get it. Like, hey, we have a pool in the backyard. We also have like six different hoses. Hold like, on, you wash your ass in the pool about- backyard? <laughs> In the backyard. Hey, I thought only Paul did that. Brown, don't come swimming. Oh, I know. Yeah, totally. You know, like, but you got hoses. You got all this other stuff. Why, why are people freaking out about right toilet like, paper? Like I, I don't get it. Now there's like another wave of like potentially. Toilet paper. I started to notice that when I was in the grocery store the other day, I was like, "Where's all the toilet paper?" So I grabbed two big packages. Like, "Uh -uh, I'm not going to be an idiot like I was last time. I was like, you know, I I don't understand how you can have a second wave of that with the full and total understanding that the first wave was essentially manufactured paranoia. I mean, it was not, you know, it was based on this idea that toilet paper was made outside of the country, but it's not. It's manufactured here. They could easily ramp it up. It's not a complex product. They could, you know, they could they could change it. So to go down that road again is just more manifestation of, you know, a manufactured panic, a manufactured paranoia that all comes from the same information ecosystem that we're always complaining about that's giving us this, you know, this false picture of what's actually happening. Again, and that's not to be, I'm not denying the severity of the pandemic, none of that shit. I'm just saying the idea that you have to be scared is completely manufactured. Yeah. You don't have to be scared. Well, fear, makes, fear makes money. Well, yeah. that's the thing. It's, that's, uh, that's why it's there. And it sells, right? It's sensational. It sells. Right? I have this talk with my mom. Like, my little sister turned 40, and uh, my other sister in the Bay Area had a little birthday party for her over the weekend. And then she's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to Halloween. I'm like, why the hell not? You're uh, On Sunday, you're hanging out with everyone who's still going to be hanging out, you know, on Thursday at my brother's house. Like, She's like, well, COVID, I was like, oh, so do you think just COVID like randomly just shows up at one place and not the other? Like live your life, you know, like stop watching the TV, put down social media, stop reading all that crap. And how many of us would really like even know that something 
horrific is really going on. Like, I agree, Paul. Like, I, I'm not a COVID denier. I think COVID definitely exists, and it it's harmful to certain people. It's, um, but is, do we need to make a big of a deal as it is? And I think again, it's it's this manufactured fear. And my thing is why, hmm. why, why is this fear going on for so long? Who's controlling it, uh, and what are they getting out of it? And we always say in the intel community is like trace the money. Yeah, money and power. Uh, you can usually find the puppet master behind that. And, you know, there's been rumors of, you know, Steve Jobs and all these other, or not Steve Jobs, um, uh, what's his name? Microsoft. Oh, you're not following the Bill Gates conspiracy, are you? Yeah. No, (laughs) No, I know what you mean. Bill Gates, um, Amazon CEO, you know, they're making hands over fist. Well, why is Amazon making so much money? Because everyone's going to cyber, buying more and more. Yeah, Amazon was making online. way also, more money before. Amazon has more money COVID. to invest in all these tech companies, and um, so I don't know, man. I, I just. But that's the danger, it's right? Not worth living in fear. Well, yeah, no, exactly, worth. right. I mean, and, but that—that that is like as you mentioned earlier. I think that is the big concern, um, and why we need to get out and talk with people more, like actual have actually have conversations, not to try and convince them of one thing or the other. But to to listen, to have real conversations like we do, you know, uh, me and Paul, for the most part, agree on, you know, we have very similar worldviews, but there's some things we don't. We But we'll push each other. And Paul's changed my mind on various things. And, you know, well, Paul's kind of old and set in his way. So I don't think I've really changed his mind on anything. But, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that's what happens when you get old. So uh, I, I listened to your podcast. Dottie, was it Dottie? Lolly. Lolly. Lolly Daskal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and her perspective right um everyone has a unique perspective and i might feel the same way lolly did if i lived in new york city and had her similar experiences right um and i think jared what she says like get out and talk to people to me it's like politics and religion yeah do you really think that when that jehovah witness or that mormon missionary knocks on your door you're gonna be like yep i'm converted you know that's Uh, that word for me man yeah uh, you know or someone uh, wants to talk about politics. Do you really think they're going to change their mind? Like nine times out of 10, no. And I can tell you this because I was a Mormon missionary over in Spain and I didn't convert one single person because you were. Oh yeah. How yeah, the fuck up. have we not talked he's, about that at all on the show? He's hardcore man. That's episode two. You what? didn't know that about him. He's, he's an actual, like My best drink, friend in high school. No, no vice. Yeah. Right. So, am I right or am I wrong? Oh no, you're totally right. You're totally oh, right. So I don't wow. drink, don't smoke, don't do any of that. Uh, uh, I hate going to church, believe it or not. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't get along with most Mormons. Um, well, I don't get along with most people, but yeah, most <laughs> Mormons anyways. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, oh, we know. definitely have to have a, a second episode so, talking so about that. So I learned as a Mormon missionary, like at a young age of like 19, 20 years old, like, man, I'm not going to convince these people. And hey, who the hell am I to, you know, and I was nothing was ever forceful. So what I learned was like, Go show these people that, hey, you're a normal person because they thought we were yeah. all whacked, which, hey, look, most Mormons are, uh, including myself. Yeah, so, not, but they are uh, the nicest people I've ever met, which is why I'm so so shocked that you were a Mormon. Like, <laughs> well, I was like, what the sh- So my wife converted uh, on one of my trips over to Afghanistan, and um, everyone thinks that she's you know always been a member of the church. And then there's me, and they're like, oh, man, like he's a party. Huh? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nope, never that guy's, have. Never that guy's trouble. They've shot documentaries about guys like Jake, you know. <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. So yeah, the, yeah. So, Sorry, yeah. So, so what's the so what's been the uh, um, sort of the the 
the personal silver lining of the last, you know, six months for you? Because that's what really what this this is best pandemic is all about. It's about, yeah. you know, I, I wrote okay. in a, a, Yeah, go ahead. When people are like, hey, uh, what do you think of COVID? I'm like, to be honest with you, I love it. You know, and it's like it blows them away. I'm like, look, um, I actually get to spend time. Like when I left the military, my goal was to be a better dad and a better husband. And in the security industry, I was traveling all the time. You know, um, I was probably gone 50 percent of the time. Um, and now I actually got to be a dad and that husband. And I love I love working from home. And my colleagues that I talk to and other people who work from home, most people feel the same way. And I think the silver lining is if. Again, if you can adapt um, and, and see the bright side of stuff, I'm actually doing like a little gratitude thing right now for like the next 14 days. And it's really helped me kind of put things in perspective. But, man, I love being with my family. I love being home. I, I live in a beautiful, great little area of North Carolina, a little Pinehurst. Um, over the summertime, people are like, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I have a pool. I built my backyard, you know, two years ago. I'm using the crap out of that. The lake's five minutes from my house. And. I get to be a dad and hang out with my boys and hang out with my wife. So that for me is a silver lining. Um, I think people have learned. I hope people have learned like the hustle and bustle. Is it really worth it? Uh, or, yeah. you know, maybe this helped people pop that bubble kind of like nine 11, right? Uh, after the twin towers went down, everyone came together. I don't think anyone's, you know, I think we see a divide in this country, but maybe people are actually realizing like life is fragile, you know, whether you get COVID, you know, get in a car and die in a car accident, have a heart attack, whatever it may be. We don't know, you know, you yeah. know, what our day, what our numbers up. And so for me, I think the silver lining is being home and hanging out with my kids. And the only travel I'm doing right now is for fun. So uh, I dig it. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. I noticed you didn't mention to any of your neighbors when you're talking about how wonderful it is there that, that there's a very good possibility you're washing your ass in that pool. <laughs> so I can't see, but the neighbor right behind me, uh, if I do get COVID, I'm coughing on him, uh, I'll my back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he is the biggest prick I've ever come across uh, in my life. He tried shutting down the pool build. I mean, we had permits and everything, and the guy just didn't want it because he didn't want the kids making noise. Like, oh, uh, what so a dick. kids make noise, man. Yeah. That's what kids are for. Don't live in a retirement home. So uh, this is the same dude I used to like make dinners for. You know, being that good little Mormon person, my parents raised me to be that. I never really was, mm. but uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Man, I got an absolute awful, awful missionary. Just you know. I, I think I, there's I, getting in fist fights with people. I think there's a whole screenplay in your in just that piece about your life and being a Green Beret and a Mormon missionary. I mean, holy shit, you could probably sell yeah, that to uh, huh? We're gonna pass that to Lucas. There's quite a few Mormons in SF, really. Oh man, man. all right. So I think we've, we've got our next project, Paul, which okay, is really Kurt Aerosmith. Paul knows Kurt. Yeah, yeah, we used to run into when I was a geographic bachelor at Campbell, and he was a geographic. We used to run into, and he was the group sergeant major. Yeah. We used to run into each other all the time at that laundromat, and uh, which is a very nice laundromat on the way at Campbell. It's one of the best. Uh, but we used to run into each other there all the time. I know Kurt real well. So Kurt was like my first team star and everything. And uh, oh, was he? Yeah, so Kurt's like, you know, he has a real raspy voice, uh, dive guy with a big dip in his mouth. He's like, Green, you Mormon? I was like. Yeah, like how'd you know? He's like, I heard. He's like, I was raised Mormon too. Um, there's quite a few, honestly. Uh, I mean, there's a dude in seventh group, Dan Gould. He's in prison right now. Uh, I went through the whole Q course. This dude was the most straight-laced Mormon I ever come across. Wouldn't even say a cuss word, man. Um, but he got busted for bringing it back like what 100 kilos of coke and a um, 
and a boxing bag. Wow. So 100, 101. I mean, it's a gray area. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's, you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Geez, this is on, definitely on, a screenplay. On that, on that note of integrity and honor. Yeah, yeah, but let's not take away from, from Jake's silver lining. I do want to say I love it, man. I mean, that's uh, what yeah. you shared is really what uh, what is really similar to how this podcast started. It, Paul and I were having weekly calls, and uh, I called him one one week and said, "Hey, man, how's, how's it going?" He said, "Man, this is the best pandemic ever." And we, you know, and we just laughed, and, and he started telling me why. It's because he was spending time with his son. They built a table, something that I thought, "Oh, well, look, just think, you wouldn't have done that for like another six months or a year." He goes, "Try never." Like we had no intention yeah. of building a table, but we had time, and so that's really what inspired this, you know, where we are now. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's awesome. For sure. Well, no, I definitely enjoy you guys' podcast. Uh, I listened to it uh, for the first time a few weeks ago, and you guys have fun. I, I love that. It's not scripted. It's, it's uh, unlike my podcast where it is scripted, and we talk a lot of doom and gloom because security isn't so much fun. Uh, you guys have fun, and it's great, man. Uh, and I do. I do think this is the best pandemic ever. Damn right. Uh, <laughs> awesome, man. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Jake, real quick before uh, before we, we cut out here, how can people get in touch with you? I mean, Freedom Consulting, because some folks, uh, you know, there are actually smart people that do listen to the show, believe it or not. Uh, I mean, yourself being one of them, clearly. Uh, so, Come on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and what's your podcast? Yeah, podcast, so how people get in touch with you and your company. Squad. Um, yeah, so this week we talked about it. It'll air on Monday. So they always come out every Monday, so they're on Apple and any other major podcast uh, brand that's out there, but it's security management with the coffee squad. Um, again, for your listeners out there, we are not nearly as funny and cool as Jared and Paul, um, but you're going to have us come on your show. Right. And then we'll, we'll totally try and spice it. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, so yeah. And then you can get a hold of me at Jake, um, J A K E at, um, F C F as in Frank C as in Charlie dash LLC.org or, uh, 1-800-991- 2117 is a 1 800 number. So, man, I was um, about to say, nobody's ever dropped a 1 800 number on any podcast. No, I don't want to like give out like my personal cell phone, you know? Yeah. What's that social security number, real yeah, quick we'll now? Put that in, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. About that. No, yeah. And we will put these in the show notes for people to, you know, to, to grab on. Uh, but, man, I really appreciate you being on. Seriously, we're definitely going to do this again now that we know that. I mean, oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. I wish oh, you would have. Let the jokes fly, man. The magic underwear, all that. Man. Oh, 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 man. I just want to hear the story. So, this, yeah, this will be good. But thanks, man, for being here for sure. No, oh, thanks. Appreciate you guys. You guys have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too, Jake. It's good good to see you again. Yeah, you too, Paul. I'll kick kick Drew in the junk for you. Please do. Please do. Especially his floppy right wrist I got shot, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was weak. (laughs) Uh, Good talking to you guys. Take care. Yeah, you too. If you made it this far, you either fell asleep, are trapped under something heavy, or were genuinely interested in the episode. If you fell asleep, get some rest. If you're trapped under something heavy get some help if you were genuinely interested in the episode tell your friends like subscribe share download do all those things press all those buttons spread the word no matter how you got this far we sincerely appreciate it thank you for listening see ya